This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's new book, The Vision Driven Leader. Order your copy today and receive free bonuses at leadtowin vision. Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And I'm Larry Wilson. And in this episode of Lead to Win, we're dealing with a problem that every leader, in fact, every person is experiencing right now, how to stay resilient during stressful times. And man, these sure are stressful times, Larry. They really are. This is really a challenging time, especially for leaders, but really for every single person on the planet. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's, first of all, the whole health crisis. So everybody's a little nervous about the virus, even though most of us don't have it. Most of us are worried about it. And then all this talk about the economy and the the slowdown and what this means for jobs and people not working. But there's really this other sort of unseen aspect, which is the emotional and mental toll that all of this is having on us. I think that's right. You know, in the first couple of weeks of this crisis, I think it was sort of all hands on deck, especially if you're in business, you're just trying to make sure your business is going to be okay, your employees are going to be okay. But that hypervigilance started to take its toll kind of in this third week at which we're recording. And it's really become apparent to me that this is uh, a big thing that we're going to be contending with for weeks and probably months to come. I said to somebody recently that, you know, if our children were just suddenly released from school and we had to care for them full time, that would be a lot of stress. Or if we suddenly had to homeschool, that would be a lot. Or if there was suddenly just a global pandemic, that would be a lot. Or if the economy was suddenly in total flux, you know, to put it as mildly as possible, that would be a lot. But what we have is all of those things happening simultaneously. And in order to get through it, we've really got to pay attention to what's happening in us and in our teams. And we need to manage our emotional and mental well-being as well as our physical and financial health so that we can get through this and come out on the other side resilient. Well, we have a special guest with us today on Lead to Win to bring some professional expertise to help us in this area of mental and emotional health. So we're going to be joined today by Amy Alexander, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also the co-founder and executive director of the Refuge Center for Counseling, which provides more than 27,000 counseling sessions and serves 3,600 clients every single year. So real professional expertise here, and welcome to you, Amy Alexander. Well, thank you for having me. I feel very honored to be with you all today, and I am so grateful that you're talking about the mental health implications of this crisis. Well, Amy, I am so glad that you're here with us today. What are you seeing right now in the people that are coming into your office for therapy virtually, I guess, at this point? Sure. Well, I really want to normalize that there are a continuum of experiences and emotions. There's a number of factors that could change things like where you live in the country, if you or a loved one has been diagnosed with COVID, or even the amount and types of media exposure you're getting. So a lot of variables. But people are going to be in different places at different times with this, maybe even by the hour. Uh, Someone may have moments of denial or shock. How has this happened? How did we get here? 
Is this really happening? Uh, they may have moments where their adrenaline and their anxiety is really high. Uh, this is where we would start to notice a tight chest, feelings of vigilance, trouble sleeping or sitting down, and even those anticipatory fears, so all the what-ifs. Um, someone might also go through some moments where they're having this sense of dread, this sense of being helpless, uh, fatigued, or depressed. So something of this magnitude really has the ability to shake our foundations and disrupt so many of the things that we've built our lives on. Well, thank you for saying that. First of all, I feel like you must have had like a little camera in the corner of my house <laughs> and you've been watching me because everything you said, I think I have experienced at some point in the last several weeks. Um, and, you know, it, it feels like, oh, gosh, I wish I were just uh, better at maintaining my equilibrium. And I, I even feel some shame about all these feelings that I'm having. And it really can vary so much hour to hour or day to day. You know, the other day the weather was nice and I was outside a bunch and I felt great. Today it's raining. You know, I feel differently today. So it's funny how how much these things can change and just how all of our reactions, they don't come in an organized way or all at once. And it doesn't matter if you're a leader or not a leader. Um, I think as a leader, you may feel extra pressure to kind of have it together and um, have all this stuff, all these feelings um, under control. But it's almost like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stage of grief, don't you think? I absolutely agree. And again, with her spectrum, we have learned that none of these things necessarily occur in one order. And sometimes we go through the stages multiple times. So denial, anger, shame, bargaining. I mean, there's just a spectrum of what we're going to experience. I, I do want to talk about something, a term that may be new to some of the listeners, and it's window of tolerance. Hmm. So we all have a window of tolerance. And this is the zone where we function most effectively. Okay, so that's our window. If we get above that zone or hypo arousal, we start getting irritable, angry, panicked. We start feeling like we're out of control of our bodies and we kick into that fight, flight, and freeze zone. When we get below that zone or hypo arousal, we get lethargic and depressed, we feel spacey, and we even start to lose track of time. What we know is that stress and trauma can shrink our window of tolerance. Uh, so when we feel like that window is shrinking, first of all, we need to recognize the symptoms that we've gone above it or below it. And we might need to get support from partners or friends when we're headed in either direction. So if, with me and my spouse, when I'm headed offline, I say that. I say, I feel like I'm heading offline. And he knows what that means. And so we need strategies to recalibrate when we're falling outside that window. And it's not complicated things, just simple things to recalibrate, like taking 10 deep breaths in a quiet place, maybe your closet or your front porch, stretching, opening up our arms, our eyes, our mouth, our fingers, just opening up. A quick walk, a soak in a hot tub, soothing music, or calling a friend who's good at listening. So just having ways to recalibrate when we're coming out of our window of tolerance, which to be honest for us, probably is happening multiple times a day right now. 
Well, I feel really relieved again to hear you say that because that's definitely been my experience. You know, I would say overall that while I feel like the situation is very serious and the impact is very, very significant, I feel hopeful about our ability to be resilient through it and come out on the other side, both um, as individuals, as our company, um, and as a nation in the world. However, that doesn't mean that I feel that way moment to moment. You know, I might read a news story or um, just kind of have that anxiety flare and and it's really a challenge, you know? So I think as a leader, it's it's particularly tough because you're the most important resource for your family and your business. You know, your team is really looking to you, and this is true for your family too, looking to you to kind of set the tone about how are you feeling about it? You know, should we be worried because you're worried? Um, so we've got to find a way to be resilient mentally and emotionally, but I would say also in a way that's authentic because one of the worst things you can do as a leader right now is to kind of be in a place of what seems like to your team denial where you're where you're invalidating their emotional experiences, you know, because they're certainly having these experiences while as a leader maybe I feel more pressure because I'm responsible for all these families that work for me. My team probably has more anxiety in some ways because they have less control than I do. They have less decision-making power than I do. Um, and so they're really kind of looking to me, you know, to, to say, is it okay that I feel this way, you know, and, and does that have a place here? So um, I think you're going to share with us some tips today for how to care for ourselves as leaders or just as individuals so that we can be resilient no matter kind of what the ups and downs are in the middle of this crisis. So today we're saying that every leader, in in fact, everybody listening, can help to maintain their emotional balance during this crisis by taking these self-care tips that Amy has so generously provided for us. And no matter where you are on that spectrum of responses, I think there will be something here that you'll resonate with and that may really be a help to you uh, during these days. So self-care tip number one from Amy Alexander is to guard your inputs. This is really important. So, you know, we all have a different need when it comes to information. Some people find that it's soothing to have a lot of facts and figures. For other people, it can be overwhelming. So I want to give this tip with some awareness that we all have different needs there. But in general, I would strongly encourage you to limit news exposure and time on your phone. What's happening right now is literally by the minute we are receiving updates and stats, so many opinions, forecasts, and of course everyone's got a different perspective, and that amount of exposure to essentially a crisis, it starts to wreak havoc on our emotions and our nervous system. It creates these cortisol surges in our body, which are not healthy. So now, let me ask you there, Amy, for some people may not know, what is cortisol and how does it affect us? Cortisol is the stress hormone plain and simple. So we don't want to have our bodies constantly flooded with the stress hormone all day long. One thing we know that if the body is exposed to prolonged stress 
for, for lengthy periods of time that it can shrink our hippocampus, which is where the memory is stored, by up to 51%. Wow. So that starts to impact our memory. And so again, really tough on the body. So that would be the first thing. If you're going to expose yourself to information, try to make it life-giving. So listening to podcasts and sermons that encourage and uplift you, um, turning on positive music. Around here at the Refuge Center, we love binaural beats. If you just go to YouTube and type in binaural beats, they're very soothing. And you might even try falling asleep to beautiful guided stories. They have adult bedtime stories wow. that are really fun <laughs> to listen to. So try that instead of MSNBC or something, you know, with all those updates. Um, and the last thing here with guard your inputs would just be try as best you can to stay in the present moment. None of us knows for sure what will happen tomorrow. So, hey, one day, five minutes at a time, stay regulated regulated and focused on what we know, not what everyone is speculating about. I think that's really good. Um, for the first maybe week and a half or so, Amy, I was uh, on my phone constantly. You know, it felt like the situation was changing so fast. I just, it felt like just emotional uh, and even global, just free fall, you know, so I was constantly checking things. Mm. And after a while, I was like, I cannot keep doing this. I can't do my best thinking. I certainly can't uh, come to a place of clear thinking where I can make the decisions that I need to make for my business and for my team who I feel very responsible for. Um, mm. So what I've ended up doing is I'm not consuming media during the day. Um, so, you know, like after I do my morning ritual, um, I'm, you know, checking the news and all that in the morning, but then I'm disconnecting throughout my work day and I'm not checking before I go to bed because inevitably, because things are changing so fast, I'll read something that's really upsetting right before I go to bed and it just sends me kind of in a spiral. You know, yesterday I broke this rule. I was just kind of having one of those days, which I actually think you would probably say is pretty normal where I just felt like I couldn't focus very well. You know, I kept trying to do things and getting distracted and then I would check my phone and it was just, it was terrible. I was like, oh yeah, this is why I'm not doing this because it's so disruptive emotionally when you're trying to maintain some kind of equilibrium so you can get the important things in your life done. I really like that point about balancing the information with positive inputs. And one of the things I've tried to do is I, I do read the news each morning, find out what the latest is, but I try to read other things too. Because there actually is some good news happening right. in the world. And there are stories in the online sources and newspapers that are about other things. So yes. try to consume some of that as well. Yeah, and so much of it is, let me just take a moment to pause before I open up this app or mm -hmm. turn on the TV and just ask myself, is this going to be a fountain or is it going to be a drain? Yeah. And our body's going to respond. So we, we have to make that intentional decision. It's really good. Well, I love that image of the fountain or the drain. And so keep the fountain bubbling by guarding your inputs. That's self-care tip number one. Let's get to the second tip from Amy Alexander, which is to structure your day. I, 
I love the sound of that, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a structured person, but I, I'm thinking a lot of people working at home are having trouble with that. Why is this so important right now, Amy? Yeah. Okay. So obviously we come from the trauma-informed perspective, and what we know is that trauma is not even just what's happening to us. It's that sense of feeling helpless. Uh, again, our bodies are wired to go into this fight-flight mode, and when we can't do that, that perceived or real sense of helplessness is super problematic. So structure, structure, structure. And the reason I say that is creating a predictable daily schedule gives us a sense of agency that can help us overcome that feeling of helplessness in our body. So our mind and our bodies start to relax when they know I can trust the flow of the day. I can predict what's about to occur. And the more that our exterior structures disappear, the more we need to organize our interior lives. That's certainly been my experience. I've, I've said a couple of times recently that it's like we as humans, we have a need for both certainty and uncertainty, you know, and right now, the uncertainty is like near 100%, you know, or at least that's how we perceive it at certain times. And the certainty is really low because so many things that, you know, just the structure of our lives, our kids going to school at a certain time, leaving for work at a certain time, having to eat dinner at a certain time, bedtimes, all those kind of normal rhythms of life have been disrupted, um, or at least can be disrupted. And that really um, throws that balance of certainty and uncertainty off. And I think structure is a way to get our sea legs, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. not just for us, by the way, um, but for our kids. You know, all of a sudden we're all working remotely, those of us who are still working. And we're also trying to help our kids who are used to being in a very structured environment to adapt to being remote learners, which is way harder than being a remote worker. You know, I mean, that's a very different environment. And um, I kind of found I'm not a naturally super structured person. I love our full focus planner. And I've used that now for years. And that's been really good for me. But I'm not a person that wants like every minute of my day schedule that can make me feel a little claustrophobic under normal times. But I realized pretty quickly about a week ago that I needed to get a really good structure for my kids and for our family time outside of work because it was just too um, it was too much in flux and it was really unsettling to my kids. I have um, a couple of kids who have a trauma history um, as well. And that's just, you know, exacerbated by the circumstances that we're in. I think this is a time to really double down on on daily rituals, which you know we're all about here at Michael Hyatt and Company. And I find myself just craving that morning routine more than ever right now. And it it really does, uh, Amy, as you as you put it, it, it gives you a kind of uh, relaxation and uh, a feeling of peace because you know this is supposed to happen now. I know what's going to happen next. It's kind of amazing, really. So one of the things that I've found to be really helpful is if you're a parent with kids at home right now is with your morning ritual, you may have to amend that. I mean, you may be used to going to the gym after they go to school or having a lot more time than you have available to you right now. However, the one thing you can control is what time in the morning you get up. Your kids may be sleeping in a little bit later right now, but having time for your morning ritual, even if it's a truncated ritual for me, that looks like I'm waking up, I'm getting my coffee, I'm having a quick devotion, I'm filling 
laying out my full focus planner. That's pretty much my morning ritual right now. I'm doing a walk later in the day as a family with my kids. Um, and that's a way that I can get that time that makes me feel like I have a sense of control that gives me the structure I need without it being sabotaged by kids. So this is one of the things parents of little kids figure out pretty quick because you got to get up before the kids. And this is something that regardless of what age your children are right now can be really helpful. The other thing is figuring out an evening routine that allows you to have uh, family time, that allows you to get into movement, which we're going to talk about in a second, and also allows you to have time to yourself, which when people are together 24-7, um, even if you're an extrovert, I'm not, I'm an introvert, but as an introvert, you really need time to yourself. And that's one of the things that I'm beginning to add to my evening ritual now, which kind of happened normally before, uh, but now I'm really having to fight for it. And I think if you can figure those two things out, they don't need to be complicated. You're, you're welcome to simplify them, but those two bookends can really help you get the structure you need to calm yourself down and provide a stable foundation. So tip number one, guard your inputs. And tip number two, structure your day. And Amy's self-care tip number three, get some physical activity. Yeah. So a few minutes ago, I referenced this idea of trauma being connected to that sense of helplessness, not being able to respond. So immobility is at the root of trauma and our body so much needs to recognize its strength and its agency. So probably more than ever in your life, you need to be moving. I talked with someone the other day who had logged 14 hours of Zoom calls in one day. They, they had not left their computer computer. They had not left that room. And that's just going to take a toll real quick. So whether it's yoga, weights, a walk, getting up and cooking, painting, dancing, do whatever you can to move your body. And sometimes it's just stepping away from your home office or the kids and uh, sitting on your front porch and just listening to the birds for a few moments, Um, drinking some hot tea, again, turning on music, noticing the colors in the space that you're in. So get moving. Um, I'll I'll share a quote by one of our therapists, Michelle Conkle. She says that nature is one of the few things that remains constant in these uncertain times. The closer I remain to it, the more peaceful and grounded I feel. Even if it is the simple act of noticing new spring grass, the budding trees, or the sunset or sunrises, This reminds me that nature remains unchanged and the seasons of life will go on. This keeps me from getting stuck in the spin cycle of panic. Hmm. Gosh, and so true. Um, as a family, we've been taking walks every afternoon after we wrap up work as a company, we have decided to shorten our work day to six hours. So we're working from nine to three. And then when we're done with work, uh, Joel and I are taking the kids out for a walk around our neighborhood. And um, that's just been really helpful. You know, it just feels like there's this gravitational pull to just get outside and move and the kids too. you know, getting your kids moving is critical because everybody can be kind of stuck in front of their screens, parents and kids alike right now. And like you said, Amy, that's just not a good way to process stress. Um, what you were saying at the beginning reminded me, I watched a little video that Bessel van der Kolk posted. Um, he is the author of The Body Keeps the Score uh, book about trauma and how it gets kind of lodged in the body and how to process it. It's a wonderful, wonderful book if you're looking for something to read right now. But he talked about the same thing, just the how critical it is to move because it gives us a sense of empowerment and agency. And that's easy to forget because 
um, I think the situation is really traumatic, don't you, Amy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, referencing your point earlier, any one of the multiple things that are happening by themselves would be challenging, but all together, we're, we're really living something that's completely unprecedented. And there's a quote that says something like, it's only saints and poets that can process in real time. Mm. They're able to like pull back enough to find the meaning in it and reflect. But for the rest of us, we end up doing it in the rearview mirror. And the truth is, we really don't understand or know all the implications of this, but these are simple tips that help us stay in the moment, stay connected. And I know those things will get us through. Megan, I wish you would comment further on this six-hour workday, because I think uh, a lot of leaders are probably shaking, scratching their heads a little (laughs) bit at you saying, hey, (laughs) it's probably the biggest crisis that any of us in leadership have ever faced, and you decided to shorten the workday. What was behind that? I know, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? And, you know, I should say at the beginning, there are many people for whom this is not an option. If you're in the hospitality industry or restaurant or travel, I mean, our hearts go out to you and, and, you know, don't put this pressure on yourself. It may just not be possible. However, uh, one of the things, that we saw happening as these weeks are starting to add up is that the adrenaline rush of the first couple of weeks started to dissipate and the exhaustion started to set in for our team. On the one hand, being able to pivot, to contribute to our clients and customers was very empowering. I think people having a way to contribute, to make a difference, to be part of the solution um, is, is a healthy thing. On the other hand, not only are people trying to do the jobs that they were previously doing, but they have all these additional stressors, as Amy and I were talking about earlier. And this is not scientific. This is just my opinion. I feel like working six hours a day in a crisis like this is equivalent to working 12 hours a day. At least that's what it feels like to me, you know? Mm. And in in order for our team members to kind of, for us to play the long game and, and help our team members to have time to care for their families, to have time to care for their mental health, to have time to process what they're experiencing and do all the extra work that it takes to, you know, manage the emotions of their kids and support their relatives and, you know, all the different things that are a part of this. We really felt like it was beneficial, if not necessary, for us to free up some margin for that to happen. Now, again, we're in a position to be able to do that. And I'm super grateful. There may be other things you can do if that's not an option, like providing group meditation time or providing people resources to have flexibility during the day so that they can work when their kids are occupied or sleeping, you know, working in the morning or in the evening, you know, whatever, whatever that is. But, but, but the principle is this, your team is under incredible emotional stress right now, as are you as the leader. If we don't account for that, I think we start to see that show up in burnout, not to mention uh, immunity being compromised, which is a threat to all of us right now. Um, so for the sake of our team's mental health, for the sake of their the health of their families and their physical health, we decided to shorten up the workday. And we're just kind of taking that on a week by week basis and evaluating it. But so far, it's been hugely helpful. We haven't lost any productivity. Um, people said they got more done in, in six hours than they would have in eight um, so we're really feeling like that is uh, is beneficial. Yeah, and that's a great uh, reminder that our teams need what we need. Right. So as leaders, we need to look out for them too. Let's move to self-care tip number four from Amy Alexander. Connect with people. Yeah, that one feels especially hard. 
And I think that with all of the social distancing and some quarantining and limitations, uh, we're recognizing how much we need this and how much it matters. I got thinking the other day, the first time that our church is able to go back and sit together uh, in a service, I think I will probably just weep the whole service mm. because I will be so grateful for what we've missed all these weeks. But, you know, essentially find creative ways to engage in your virtual community, whether that's existing friends or family, join a new group or one that gives a sense of social support. I talked with our clinical director yesterday and she told me that every day she's choosing two people from her phone list of contacts and two people from her Facebook friends that she hasn't really talked to in years. Perhaps their updates just pop up on social media, but she's choosing those four people and she's reaching out to them. She's calling them or sending them a message or a card. And so if life is affording you some margin right now, use that to be intentional about connecting with people you're already close to or those you haven't heard from in a while. Well, Amy, I think you're absolutely right. I think the isolation is just one more stress, you know, in this whole situation um, really bears down on people in ways, like you said, in your example of church that, you know, you don't even think about that you take for granted that you see people when you get coffee, you see people at church, you see people in your office, you see people when you go to Target, you know, all those kind of things. One of the fun things that um, that we've done, my sister lives in the same neighborhood that I do, and she's been organizing these activities for kids. So, of course, the social distancing is still in place, but we had, and a lot of neighborhoods, I think, are doing this, but we did an art, a chalk art uh, crawl the other day. And so uh, my husband and I went out into our driveway and drew all kinds of stuff on our driveway. And then the neighbors were doing the same thing. And then everybody walked around, you know, separately and got to see what people were drawing. Or there have been scavenger hunts where people have put sunshines in their windows that they've printed or colored, you know, and the kids go around and look and try to count how many they can find. Those are like seemingly simple things, but there's a sense of connectedness that we feel to each other, even though we're not physically in the same place. That's really helpful in addition to some of the things you mentioned. Um, So if you have a neighborhood that you're living in uh, and you haven't done some of those things, that might be something to consider. You can find out all that stuff online. A lot of people are doing it, Uh, but it's surprisingly fun. And as a benefit, I mean, I I don't know about you, but I have not drawn on my driveway with sidewalk chalk in at least a decade. (laughs) And it's actually really fun. (laughs) Well, there's some good insight on how you can connect with uh, people and with your family and others, uh, even when we're social distancing. And that's self-care tip number four, connect with people. Let's get to self-care tip number five. And the last one, consult a therapist if you're overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah, this is really important. And sometimes a situation like this starts to bring up things that are perhaps unresolved from our past. It might even be things that we didn't know were problematic until they got triggered by this current crisis. So my tip, of course, coming from a therapist, but my tip is connect with a therapist. Right now, I would encourage you to do that through telehealth platforms that are secure and HIPAA compliant. But connect with a therapist if you are experiencing ongoing emotional distress, or if this situation is bringing up things from the past that feel unresolved, perhaps other times you felt helpless. 
I think that is so helpful and it's easy to discount that. But I know for myself, I've done a lot of therapy over the years. My kids have done therapy. Um, Joel and I have done therapy. I mean, I just, I can't say enough good things about therapy. I think in the, in normal times, it's important, but I think in the midst of a crisis, it's critically important to have resources that you can go to when it gets to be too much. You know, um, I know my own therapist sent me a text message uh, last week and just said, Hey, I just want to check in. I haven't seen her for a while. And she said, Hey, I just want to check in and see how you're doing. You know, and I think a lot lot of people are doing that with their clients. But Amy, do you have a resource that you would recommend for people maybe that don't have a therapist right now for how to find a good therapist to walk through this with them? Sure. Well, there are uh, ways that you can look for a therapist nationally, Psychology Today or EMDR.com. That's eye movement desensitization reprocessing.com. That's a trauma modality. Or the AAMFT.org. That's the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. All of those are going to have therapist locator functions based on the zip code that you're in. And you can pull up based on a radius of that zip code, um, the profiles of therapists that would be available available to you. Uh, I we also glad to direct people to our website, refugecenter.org. Awesome. And do people have to be in the state of Tennessee to uh, to see you at the Refuge Center or your team at the Refuge Center? For our services, they would need to be located in the state of Tennessee. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think it's just helpful because sometimes people just don't know where to go and that keeps them paralyzed. And I, I just want people to feel empowered that those resources are available and not that hard to find. So today, the lesson is that every leader, and in fact, everybody, can help to maintain their emotional balance during this crisis by taking some simple self-care tips, and Amy Alexander has given us five of them. Number one, guard your inputs. Number two, structure your day. Number three, get physical activity. Number four, connect with people. And number five, Consult a therapist if you're feeling overwhelmed. So any final thoughts for us, Megan and Amy? You know, one thing that I would say, Richard Schwartz is the founder of um, a type of therapy called Internal Family Systems, and he talks about TOR mentors, T-O-R dash M-E-N-T-R-S. Typically, these are people or experiences that trigger or torment us, but they teach us what we need to heal. And I would just say that this crisis is a tormentor, the anxiety, the loneliness, but it's also a teacher that this crisis has the potential to bring up the parts of us that need to heal. So just a reframe. Amy, that is awesome. I love that way of thinking about it because it kind of feels like, um, you know, there's a, a silver lining to this or there's some kind of redemption to what we're going through, which is hopeful for all of us. Um, I would say as a leader to other leaders, don't underestimate the emotional and mental health impact of this crisis on your team. You know, as leaders, we're thinking a lot about the economic impact on our business. We're thinking about um, the health risk to our teams and what that would mean to our business. But there's a third thing, and that is the mental health risk that we have to consider and take responsibility for and try to offer solutions to our team and the people that we're responsible for to the best of our abilities. And I think 
the tips that Amy shared today would be great things to use in an all-team meeting to go back to your team and to share these as tools that they can use. Um, I think uh, this is an opportunity for your team to feel that you really care about them and for them to connect with your authentic leadership. So uh, don't let these tips kind of, you know, go to the wayside. Use them with your team as a resource. And I think you'll really find that they're valuable. Well, thank you both for a very helpful episode. Megan, thank you for putting this timely topic before us. I think a lot of us have really needed to hear some of these tips today. And Amy Alexander uh, of the Refuge Center for Counseling, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks, Larry. And thanks, Amy. And thank you all for joining us today. We'll see you right back here next week. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's new book, The Vision Driven Leader. Order your copy today and receive free bonuses at leadto.win slash vision.